You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Visit them today at FamilyDry.com. Whatever you may need. Water in the house. Pavement out of whack outside of the house. You need water to be pushed away from your home, not towards your home. Some pump issues, you name it, they handle it. And you get a big discount if you mention socks in the basement. Check them out, as I said, at any time at FamilyDry.com. And Ed, I'm going this weekend to a ball game with one of the owners of Family Waterproofing Solutions, and we're going to go watch a replacement-level team. We have to admit what the White Sox are at this moment. And the White Sox of 2021 at this very moment are not a high-level team. Not, not right now. No, they have high-level starting pitching. You cannot deny that the five starters on this team... As long as they stay healthy, and really they are the only healthy thing on this team. With the exception of that, this team is not a high-level pennant-winning team the way that it is right now. I I, I was looking at the 40-man roster, and I just want to bring up this chart that we've used in the offseason. We're trying to figure out where they're going to plug holes and who might be on the 40-man and who might not be on the 40-man. And I took a look at it today. And I plugged in where everybody was, and I plugged in all the guys that were injured. And these are the guys currently on the IL for the Chicago White Sox officially. Kopech, Engel, Eaton, Hamilton, Jimenez, Robert, Fry, Madrigal, and Jimmy Cordero. You know, he's still officially on the 60-day. Oh, I I forgot about him. So then what I did is I looked at the 26-man roster, all the bench positions, uh, the starting pitchers, the relief pitchers, the closer and Hendricks. I, I put a little X if that position has been weakened by injury. And there's a lot of X's because with the exception of catcher with Grandal, first base with Abreu, third base with Moncada, and shortstop with Anderson, every other single position is weaker today than it was at the beginning of the season than it was when you sat down and envisioned what the 2021 White Sox were going to be. The bench is weaker because the guys that would be on the bench are either starting or they're on the IL as well. Because we've got guys that weren't even going to be on the team that are starters now. And our bench is just other guys that probably should be in AAA or floating out in the ether of ball players just looking to catch on with the team. But these guys are on our roster right now. That's how decimated we are. And I've become a little frustrated coming out of the Astros series, not with the fact we lost to the Astros, but with the idea that some people have that this is still, don't worry about it. We're a shoe in We're going to win the division. Everything's going to be fine. You guys are all panicking. We just caught the Astros at the wrong time. No, we're not a good baseball team because we have too many injured players. And every time we think we're getting somebody back, another guy gets injured. So at this point, as I sit here today, I'm upset, I'm down, I'm depressed, and and I and and there's so much to cover, but there's a lot of things right now wrong with this White Sox team, and I feel like the only thing we have to look forward to 
is that we're playing crappy teams that may not be as crappy as we are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree that there shouldn't necessarily be a tremendous amount of panic because this, if this is going to happen to the team, it's better to have it happen before the All-Star break. You know, some of these guys are going to be back. Aloy is going to be back. Robert, we haven't heard anything about, but yeah, he's projected to be back. Engel's worrisome because he went down again. Eaton, I could care less if he's, you know, here or not at this point. But what has me more worried is the guys that are here that are not hurt but have underperformed. And that's where I think it's a bigger concern because you're going to go through periods, especially this year, there's just been a ton of injuries all around the majors. You're going to go through periods where you're going to have key guys on the IL, and that's that's okay. And to lose to the Astros is no shame. Heck, if they were at full strength and they lost four to the Astros, you could also just chalk it up as over 162 games, you're going to lose a series. You're going to get swept sometimes when you don't expect it or when you don't want it to happen. But I have a problem with, for example, Yoan Moncada, who is not on the injured list, who has not been playing very well, and he's been sick, and I understand that, but that's more of a worry because... Again, he's trying to play through it. When Adam Eaton was being run out there, he wasn't on the injured list. There was no specific statement about his injury, but he clearly could not play baseball anymore. That was more of a concern. I'm worried that what's going to happen right now with the Sox is not that they don't have the ability to get better or to find some way to get guys in that can play at a decent enough level to keep them in first place, keep them ahead of the Indians, who, by the way, are also having injury problems to their starting rotation, which is their strength. But I'm more worried that with the crackdown on sticky stuff, with pitching going to be taking a backslide, that if in any way, shape, or form the White Sox starters are impacted by the crackdown, if it just means that they are slightly less capable than they were if they were using stuff, and I'm not saying that they were using spider tack or cheating or anything like that, but... If you're a team that can't hit and take advantage of the fact that every MLB team, every team you're going to face from here on out is going to have pitchers that were using substances, at least the rosin and sunscreen, and they're going to have lower RPMs, they're going to, their stuff is going to break less, they're going to have less ride on their fastball. This is when hitters around the league are supposed to be going through an uptick anyway. This is when hitters right now should be looking at licking their chops and saying, okay, now we can take over and hit. If the White Sox can't field nine guys, and, and I'm including the DH in there, if they can't field nine hitters that can take advantage of what should be a downturn across the league in pitching, that is what is going to cost them. And it may not cost them the division because the division has turned to crap this year, but it very well means that if you have championship aspirations, these guys need to get back or they need to find something. Someone needs to step up and start playing high-level baseball. And I just... We haven't seen it yet this year. Do you think, like, here's the, this is an honest question I have for you. Do, you. do you think that it's worth going out and making moves at this point to add to this team? And, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify that question by pointing out that with all the holes that we have because of the injuries, and yeah, of course, I as a fan, I want to go for this and I want to win. So let's, let's go make some moves and let's win. I, I haven't changed my mind on any well, of that. Let's assume we're going to win. Let's assume that, that, that the Sox are going to go for it. Sox fans, we all want to win. So let's, let's play the game of let's go for it. Yeah, but, but here's the problem. The problem is that even with all the holes you have due to injury, Jose Abreu is having a bad year. All right? I know that that's unpopular to say. White Sox fans hate it when 
when somebody says something bad about their player that they have a jersey for. But his his OPS against left-handed pitching right now is just the worst. I mean, it's still good. It's 865, but that's low for him. That's a guy in 2019 right. who had one over 1,000 and for his career uh, has one over 900. He's down. And the problem is last year when he actually dropped into the 800s against left-handed pitching, he had an OPS against righties that was over 1,000. That's why he went out and won an MVP. But now against righties, he has backslid just as he had been showing that he was doing over the last couple of years before he got to 2020. He had been slowly but surely becoming an average hitter against right-handed pitching. An OPS right now of only 735. That's basically league average right there. You, you want a comparison? Uh, Zach Collins has a better OPS against righties than Jose Abreu. All right? Danny Mendick ain't too far off from him. That's the level that Jose Abreu is playing at at the plate against right-handed pitching. So injuries be damned, that's an issue. Yuan Moncada in 2019 against lefties an 845 OPS and against righties a 945. Well, against lefties this year, a 735. He's down over 100 points. And against righties an 830, he's down over 100 points. That isn't good. Tim Anderson, a guy with a career OPS of over 860 against lefties with a 663. That's below average. That's bad. That shows he's not hitting left-handed pitching very well at all. And he's slightly above average with a 791 against right-handed pitching. So in the middle of all these injuries, these guys that you depend upon to be good are all doing bad. Now, some of that is because they have no protection around them, but also the fact that they're just doing bad. And so not only do we have all these replacement level players in there, but even if we start adding players, you're going to have these guys still sitting in there struggling. They're not having career years. They're down. All of them are down. So, you know, that's the problem. Right now, we have a very, very bad offense, which leads me to one of the biggest issues that I had with the lineup on Tuesday night. Uh, there's so much to get to here. This is Socks in the Basement, found everywhere podcasts can be found, and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, so Lucas Giolito had Zach Collins catching him on Tuesday night with a left-handed pitcher on the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this has happened a couple of times now, hasn't right. it? It would be an aberration if he went out and had a great offensive day. 
against against a left-handed starting pitcher. Frankly, it'd be an aberration if he went out and had a great offensive day against anybody. Right. He's he's got a 555 OPS against lefties, and he's pretty much average at a 738 OPS against righties. Okay, he's just basically an average ball player against righties and a very, very below average ball player against lefties. The White Sox coming into this season, just looking at guys with their career OPSs against left-handed starting pitching and their OPSs, their, their, this is their slugging and their on-base percentage combined against lefties in 2021. Your top eight guys, Vaughn, Robert, Madrigal, Grandal, Mercedes, Jimenez, Abreu, and Engel. Those would be your top eight guys against left-handed pitching. Four of them are already out of the lineup due to injury. Four of them. You also have Abreu underperforming what he normally does and Mercedes falling off of a cliff. And in the middle of all of that, you have Yasmani Grandal not playing in that game because of some idea the White Sox have or Lucas Giolito has that Zach Collins has to be his catcher every time he goes out there and plays. And we can't afford to do this anymore. How, how with a lineup that is Swiss cheese, that is decimated, destroyed, are we still giving personal catchers to a starting pitcher? Explain that to me, Ed. The only way that makes any sense is if Grandal is acting as the DH and you're putting Collins behind the plate because you feel like at this point Mercedes is whatever is going on with him at the plate that he just needs to sit down and watch. Yeah, but that's not the case here. This was in a National League ballpark coming off of a day off. So there's not a rest issue. If you don't want Grandal playing back-to-back games, he could sit tomorrow. Okay, he could sit on the Wednesday after he goes and he plays on the Tuesday. There is absolutely no reason for him to not be in the lineup on Tuesday unless Lucas Giolito requires Zach Collins as his personal catcher. At this point, I am now convinced that is the case because you can't come up with a legitimate reason why Grandal was not in the lineup on Tuesday night. And so then I turn to the experts because I don't know everything. And I turn to James Fox, who's been on this show before from Future Sox and Southside Sox, and I turn to a conversation he's having with a couple of people on Twitter and a gentleman by the name of Trevor Lines, who works with him. And they break down the stats of Giolito to McCann, remember James McCann, and Zach Collins over the last three years. How could I forget James McCann? He was a Hall of Famer, according to some fans. Right, right. But McCann and Collins compared to Giolito throwing to Grandal. Okay, McCann to Collins, 46 starts with a 3.24 ERA and opponents hitting 194 against him. Giolito throwing to Grandal instead in 10 starts, a 5.36 ERA. So Fox counters and says, take out two games. Take out Minnesota, which was a blow up last year in the opener where Giolito looked terrible. Right. And the Boston game this year. And the Boston massacre. Right. Just take out those two games. Giolito has a 298 earned run average when he pitches to Yaz and a 272 earned run average when he pitches to Collins. So now even in the numbers, you have a hard time telling me why Zach Collins is his official catcher when we need more offense on this team. This is a maddening, maddening development coming out of the White Sox that you are going to hamstring your offense even more 
when you barely have any remaining starters on the field and you're going to take out a productive bat. And don't talk to me about batting average. He is a productive person in your lineup, more productive than the majority of players you have to send up to the plate each and every night. And he's better against lefties than he is against righties. He should be playing against both, but you definitely never sit him against a left-handed pitcher. And I don't understand this now. Somebody from the White Sox needs to explain to me, whether it be Tony or Lucas Giolito, or maybe maybe it's uh, Grandal. Grandal's like, I don't like to catch the guy. I think he stinks. I don't, I don't know. Somebody explain to me why, because I don't understand it. So you're saying we're looking at it the wrong way. It's not that Zach Collins is, is Lucas Giolito's personal catcher. It's that Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon are Yasmani Grandal's personal starters. And he's just letting, <laughs> you know, he's letting Zach get, get the Lucas starts there. I would even take that stupid excuse. Somebody give me a reason. Right? Though. It's a question that needs to be asked. Somebody give me a reason. If the reason is Lucas feels more comfortable throwing to a different catcher, then Lucas Giolito is nothing more than a middle-of-rotation pitcher who in a couple years when his contract comes up, when he starts getting outpriced in the market, I'm not going to be as upset if he's gone because I want guys that can throw to anybody behind the plate on my team. And I know, again, that's going to be unpopular with White Sox fans. Oh my God, I got a Lucas Giolito jersey. He's my favorite player. And don't you think he's such a great guy? Yeah, I do. I think he seems like he's a great guy. I think that he's a good pitcher. But this is wrong for the team. This is bad for the team. And whoever's making this decision is making a bad, bad decision right now. I've been accused on the phone lines, Ed, of being an apologist for this team. I've been waiting to save this. I'm going to, I'm going to play this for you right now. Ooh. This came in. Okay. This came in at SoxInTheBasement.com. Remember, you can go to SoxInTheBasement.com on any device. Click the little blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. If it doesn't show up right away, start scrolling on your mobile device. You will see it and leave a voice message. Check this out. Hey, are you a Tony Lewis apologist just because Dave dropped off the podcast? I really love your stuff, but you know, you're kind of an apologist for Tony Lewis and I miss Dave. Uh, Dave would still be on the show if he hadn't flipped out right. and decided that uh, he was never going to talk White Sox again because Tony La Russa was hired. I guess that's what I'm supposed to act like. I'm supposed to not even watch the team until Tony La Russa is gone. Okay. I'm not an apologist clearly for anything going on over there. If I'm angry about the fact that this decision's being made because Tony's the manager. So he's obviously okay with it. So that's not a good thing. So I have, I have an issue with Tony right there. Clearly though, you have to hate everything that Tony does. I mean, look at this lineup is absolute Swiss cheese, Ed. He still somehow has his team in first place. I don't know for how much longer, but he does. But you, you got to hate him 100%. Uh, it, it would be okay just to be sort of apathetic about Tony. And At just, this point, he's the least of my problems. He's the least of my problems. I have a team with underperforming superstars that are not playing well, coupled with a rash of injuries that has turned it into a triage unit and a front office that, according to Scott Merkin, who's on the previous episode, check it out on demand, 27 people sit down at a table and debate over what moves they're going to make right? because it's all a collaborative effort and they're sitting on their hands right now when we need to either make a move or at least declare it is what it is because we're so beat up because right now I feel like I'm just in limbo right now with a team that's decimated in each and every way. I mean, I hope they go on a run. I hope they kill everybody in the next couple of weeks. All this weak competition but if you're sitting around thinking that we're strong competition, we're not. Trust me, on other shows across the country, the White Sox are coming to town and they're saying, man, they're pretty beat up. We might beat them. We're not frightening. 
33rd in Princeton, that is exactly where you should be before, during, and after every White Sox game. It is right in the shadow of the ballpark, and it is the home of Cork and Carey at the park, a Southside tradition. I was just there last week with my lovely wife, who sat down, ate the food, and told me, like, well, this is where I want to eat every time we go out from now on. What am I waiting to get inside the ballpark for? From the award-winning burgers, the Latino, the Cork with the pork, the Southside Irish, to the starters and sides like quesadillas, ball yard nachos, fried Cajun pickles. They've got all the favorites, like you can get yourself a hot dog before you even walk in. You can grab yourself a big thing of mac and cheese, get the Italian sausage. There is so much to get and enjoy at Cork and Carry at the park. They have an extensive bar menu, an extensive set of taps up there with all kinds of craft beers and your favorites as well. Get over to 33rd in Princeton and check out the entire menu at corkandcarryatthepark.com. Uh, you might see me out there on Saturday. When I stop by, I always like to throw the socks in the basement trucker hats out for people to grab. We gave away a bunch of them last week, so maybe Saturday, you know, mosey on by, you might see a stack of them sitting there uh, for free. I, I, I like to just hand them out to the crowd, so they might they might be there. It's going to be a big weekend because everybody's back in the ballpark. Unfortunately, uh, I, I don't know what we're actually going to be watching out there. And, and that's, I guess, where the frustration is. Look, I, I don't want to be down on this team. This is not just because of the Astros series. I did get frustrated, though, with people trying to act like it's no big deal. It's a big deal as a reminder that this team is not at the level that you thought the team was going to be when the season started. And that is because some of your stars are not actually playing very well, and a lot of your guys are injured. And that is a real, that's a real issue. Those are the kind of things that stop teams from making it into the postseason. Those are the kind of things that stop teams from winning playoff games and winning championships. And I wanted to win a championship this year. And I'm feeling less and less confident that that is going to happen. And it it is frustrating. I looked at, I looked at the roster and I looked at this team and I, and I have an, an observation without having to get into all the numbers for this team that even with the injuries that they have, they have four guys that could run out there every night against left-handed starting pitching if they did the right lineup that would have an OPS of over 900 against left-handed pitching. And you could add in two other guys in a Brayu and Lamb if you were playing him against a left-handed pitcher right now who currently have OPSs over 800. And you could put together a, a fairly good lineup. Danny Mendick would be the weak link in the lineup in terms of his hitting against left-handed pitching. Against righties, though, this team is basically average to below average. Its best performers are Moncada and Tim Anderson. And the third best guy against right-handed pitching right now is Jake Lamb. And everybody else is average to below average. And you'd have to throw Andrew Vaughn out there. And he's terrible right now against right-handed pitching. His OPS is a 476. It's brutal. They're just, they're really, really bad against righties. If you got all these guys back that we're waiting on, like if all these injured players get back, let's say they somehow fight their way to September and they get Jimenez back and he's healthy and they get Robert back and he's ready to go. And you get these guys at just what they should be doing combined with what we're doing right now. You still have a few holes in your lineup against lefties, but you get much, much better against right-handed pitching. If you're, if your pitching is still there for your own team and you're able to get these guys back, you can still make a run deep into the postseason. The problem is I don't think you make it to the postseason or at least put yourself in a position as a division winner where you're in a better position to win in the postseason 
if you don't go out and add to this team? Are you still adding to this team? And how much are you willing to give up to add to this team so that you don't blow an opportunity? Do you perceive an opportunity to be there, which makes you want to go out and add it? Well, yeah. So the the it's not a big deal to lose to the Astros now. Only makes sense if you add to that sentence as long as we're not this team at the end of the season. So if at the end of the season everybody's back and hitting and, and doing doing their job and the pitching's still there, then a loss to the Astros in June, getting swept, eh, then it's not a big deal. But what I think the Sox need to look at is they do have elite starting pitching for this year, and that is not a guarantee to carry over year after year. Next year, you may not be able to re-sign Lance Lynn. It's a possibility that they will not extend him. They may not have Carlos Rodon next year. These two guys are free agents. Lucas Giolito may not be dominant forever, okay? Guys who rely on that difference between a fastball and a changeup, sometimes that gap narrows just enough that they become good but not dominant. Keiko could decline. Really, the only guy whose clock seems to be turning up is Dylan Cease, right? And Michael Kopech, to the extent that Kopech's going to come back and start. And you're, and you're right about that. So then that also gets to the point of, like, last year in a shortened season, this team sat on its hands and didn't add when it when I thought it should have added because they weren't prepared oh, yeah. yet. Things happened too quickly for them, and they weren't ready to go make a move. Would you take that offense and the ability to go out with everybody healthy if you had that 2020 team right now and you just had to go out and find yourself another big pitcher? Would you rather have that or would you rather have this great pitching staff and the mess in your lineup going into this trade deadline? A hundred thousand bajillion percent. I would rather have problems with my lineup. It is so much easier to find a hitter than it is to find pitching. So it's not, it's not over for you. It's not over for you because, because we got so many problems in the lineup because they can go out and find hitters is what you're saying. They can go out and find hitters. And and like I said earlier, even, even in house. Okay. Let's say, Let's say, just by way of, of naming a name, that Jake Berger, who has come back, who was drafted to be a good hitter, has come back, has this wonderful story about him at AAA. Let's say they don't land as Eduardo Escobar, they don't land as Drupal Cabrera or Adam Frazier to play second base, and they turn around and go, you know what, Jake, come up, let's see what you can do. And he just comes up and starts hitting, just comes up and starts doing what that man was born to do, evidently, which is hit baseballs and get hurt. But he's only going to hit against lefties. Okay, right now in the minors, he's got a 1362 OPS against left-handed pitching, and he's got a 635, which puts him below Adam Eaton, Yerman Mercedes, now that he's come back to earth. Uh, he's basically uh, Larry Garcia. There's nothing he's going to do to help your team against right-handed pitching. So he's a Band-Aid at best. I'm saying, I'm saying let's, let's, let's make the miracle happen here. Let's say that he comes up here and, and his stats are a little bit different and, and are slightly more adjusted. He struggles against lefties a little bit more, but he hits righties better up here for whatever reason. Yeah, but it's not going to happen. Or let's say it's Louis. <laughs> right. Or let's say it's Luis Gonzalez who comes up and, and fills in nicely playing right field or taking over center field uh, and, and lives up to what he was a couple years ago at Birmingham. Not necessarily, you know, what he showed, what he showed, you know, in spring training or, or, or earlier. You know, if one of those guys comes up and, and plays well, we're not talking about nearly as, as many holes, right? Those are big ifs. Th- well, th- those are big ifs. That's why I'm saying, though, is that you can go out, though, and I do think that they could go to the Diamondbacks and cheaply get Eduardo Escobar or Estrubal Caprera to come in and play second base, and they are professional hitters, and they are going to be an upgrade over what we have now. 
And I think they could cheaply go to, say, the Marlins and get Corey Dickerson when he gets back from injury because he's being forced out of a young Marlins lineup and he's a free agent. Or they could go get a Mitch Haniger who is, you know, under control. Or maybe they can go get Adam Frazier, who we've talked about, was shopped in the offseason. And those guys would be upgrades as well. If you go get Escobar and his his 7-11 OPS against right-handed pitching this year, you're not doing anything different than what you're getting from Mendick against right-handed pitching. He's just he's just extra pop against lefties for you. He's still an upgrade. Okay. He's not going to make up for what you would have gotten from Nick Madrigal. On the other hand, Frazier actually produced more at the plate so far this year than even Madrigal was doing. Like with with Frazier, you would actually improve your team. That would be a move I'd be excited about. Even though I know he's a streaky hitter, even though I know we're paying for a guy for having the best couple of months that he's had in a while. All right. If this is what he's going to be, he's somebody that they've always liked down in Pittsburgh. He just didn't develop in the right timeline for what's going on in Pittsburgh. If we could get this guy and add him onto our team, I think it would be a big move. You know, I I have no problem with Escobar, but the thing that I have with the White Sox that drives me nuts is uh, that 27-person consortium or how many people that Merkin pointed out on the last show that are all involved in this thing. I feel like that's why we're always leaning towards guys that we've already had in our system that we've already had around us, that those names come up more. He's not as good as Frazier. Frazier is the guy that makes the big impact. Escobar makes it not as bad as Mendick and Garcia out there, but not as good as when Madrigal was out there. You see, if you really want to improve your team and go for it, Frazier's the guy to go pick up. You pay a little more to get Adam Frazier, than to take a guy who, yeah, he's better than what you have right now, but at his best, he's going to give you, he might give you more home runs, but his overall production is going to be the same or less than what Nick Mandrigal was when you can go out and get Adam Frazier and actually improve on a team that has guys that are having down years, that has so many other injuries. I I want the better guy. You know, I might be nuts in this whole thing. Adam Frazier could have a terrible second half and everybody could laugh at me for it. But right now, just looking at the numbers and looking at the performance of these guys and looking at the fact that after Bob Nightingale, the the spokesperson for Jerry Reinsdorf, tweets out that the White Sox are talking to try to get Escobar on Monday, then I realized that six hours before Bob put that tweet out, Escobar's getting an MRI because he's not entirely healthy and he's going to try to play through it because the Diamondbacks want him on the field so they can complete the trade with us. You understand that? I I really hope they're going to be smart here. Like, maybe I've just... Maybe I'm having a bad week. Maybe I'm just frustrated with what happened with the Astros. Maybe I, maybe looking at the numbers has has turned my heart dark. But I am really, really frustrated with this team and very worried we're going to make the wrong move here, either by making a non-move or picking up the wrong guy. Well, and that's, that's going to be the key, is whether or not you actually get the right guy in here. Now, Escobar doesn't move the needle for me that much. The thing that I like about him is if they add him to this team, that takes a little bit of the pressure off of Moncada having to be out there because it's not necessarily going to, like, say, Larry and Mendick all the time. Or they don't have to rely on Jake Berger providing a miracle. But that said, uh, if that's the only move they make, no, it's not going to do anything for them. They're going to have to get at least two hitters. They need two hitters. What I would like the Sox to do is, if they're going to rent a guy like Escobar, who is just just here to, to be a Band-Aid, just to plug a hole, and be a guy that maybe ticks up because he's, he's, 
you know, he's back home and he never wanted to leave here. And now he's in a pennant race. Sometimes that adrenaline shot can get a guy to play a little bit above his head when he's come from a morose situation. I mean, he's been in Arizona for a few years now and they've done nothing. So if that's the case, you know, and he's the Band-Aid, but then they go out and get Adam Frazier, who is a guy that you're going to have not just this year, but he's going to be a part of the team next year because he is under club control. You're probably not going to DFA the guy. He's not that expensive. And or somebody else, you know, that we haven't talked about that could be a longer-term piece because you still have a hole in right field. You still have, frankly, you still have questions at DH. I love your mean like everybody else, but no, he should be in Triple A. He should be in Triple A at this he point. He may need to go down. He may need to go down and and get his head back screwed on straight. Something's something's not right with him up the plate right now. It is a tale as old as time that a twenty nine year old player, whatever he is, who's a career Triple A guy, makes it to the major leagues, has a great month or so, uh, gets his name. Uh, etched into the side of his head and a burger named after him. And then suddenly sucks. And it's like, it's like, it's like a story from any movie about baseball you've ever watched uh, because it's something that has happened all throughout baseball history. And the, uh, the Yermin Mercedes experience for me is already over. I mean, if you went out, bought yourself a Mercedes Jersey, God bless you. But um, this, this is not good. He is not very good. Uh, pitchers figured out that if they delay in their approach to him, that he starts his whole sequence for swinging the bat so early that if a pitcher just kind of like hesitates with his foot or changes his delivery slightly, his timing is way off and it throws off his timing and he's done. It was something we observed on this show two, two months ago. I was like, Hey, did you notice how I can't remember what team it was? I was like, do you notice how they kept like delaying on the throw and he was lost up there? I hope that isn't how you beat your Mercedes. Guess what? It is. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> Turns it out is. that's exactly right? what it is. So they have a lot of holes. They have a lot of problems. And Andrew Vaughn is still a rookie who's trying to figure things out. And you've got guys that are playing below what their, their expectations were this year. And guess what? Your MVP has backslid to what he was regressing to back in 2019, which had us concerned here on this show, where we were like, man, if this continues, he's just kind of going to fall off slowly. He's back to that regression. He's a power hitter in his mid-30s, and that's when the decline happens. Right. I, I mean, that's that's why, that's another reason why you got to go for it this year, is because you are looking at a lot of things. You're looking at not having that pitching staff potentially next year. You are looking at having a worse version of Jose Abreu. You are looking at potentially having more holes in the lineup or or having to rely on more rookies or try and come up with more players. And if they have to spend in the offseason on position players because they need Aloy to be a DH and they're not sure that Vaughn is going to be an everyday outfielder and they don't have, you know, you don't want them picking up Adam Eaton's contract. You know, they are, this is the time to go for it behind this pitching staff. I would like them to find if they need to rent a couple of players to get past some of these injuries, great. I would like them to make at least one trade at this deadline that is going to be something that is going to be an impact player that is going to carry over into the future, and we know where the hole is. We know that the hole is in right field, or the hole could be at DH, depending on how you want to play it, but pick somebody up for the future that is going to help them right now and solidify the lineup right now, and then, yeah... Let's hope that, you know, Jose gets hot at the right time. Let's hope that Tim Anderson gets hot. Let's hope that whatever is dogging Yohan Moncada gets past it and he gets back to being the best player on this team, which he is. 
And then the rest of this stuff, you know, debating Zach Collins starting for Lucas Giolito, it, it shouldn't matter. There isn't a debate. It's stupid. It's dumb. Stop doing it. All right? Just stop doing that. Stop doing that, and I will become 5% less agitated this week. I promise. I'll be a happier person if somebody could just explain what the hell is going on with that. So with that 5% back, you'll only be 110% agitated? Is that what you're oh, telling me? Yeah, so agitated. So agitated. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.